Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. I think we're there. I, uh, so he's uh, looking at me directly right now. He's uh, a little bit of a scrapper. He likes to have a little bit of a a fight. He's got a bit of fight in him. I remember when we tried to get him on the bottle and he fought it so hard that he didn't eat for a whole day. He literally went on a hunger strike. And we, we started calling him a bit of a protester because, like, the slightest thing, and he's like, I want my way. And uh, he's got a younger cousin who's about six weeks young, younger than him. And whenever they've got in the room recently, he just makes a dive towards him and kind of grabs his face and his his hair, and he's kind of like saying, I'm six weeks older than you, I'm, I'm the boss. And it's, it's like he, he also gives his older brother a bit of a, a, <laughs> a, bit of a run for his money, and it's, it's like he's, he's trying to establish himself in the family, in the world. He's kind of like, I know this is already was an established family, but I'm here now, and I'm, <laughs> I'm taking my place here. It reminded me that when I was in primary school, I was a little bit of a terror, I got into a few fights here and there. Sometimes they were like group fights. Sometimes they were individual fights. Um, our headmaster used to have a a book, a fight book. And uh, if you got if you got in called to the headmaster the first time, you got your name in the book, a warning. Second time was a letter home to your parents. Third time was suspended. And I, I know I, I think I spaced out the fights enough that I never quite got suspended. Not for fighting. I did get suspended for something else, but that's <laughs> another story. <laughs> um, when I I didn't have any fights in secondary school, and I don't think I've had a physical fight since I was in primary school. And it was kind of interesting, isn't it? We learn that physical fights aren't really the way to deal with life. We don't, don't get us anywhere much. Most of us don't have physical fights on a regular basis. But it doesn't mean we don't fight. We tend to fight in different ways. We use words and looks. We use manipulation, scheming, gossiping, backstabbing, silent treatment. We find all these creative ways to fight, don't we? And it's part of our sinful human nature to fight, to be abrasive, to be confrontational, and we're fighting because we want to get our own way. We want to win. We want, to, we want our way. So I've called today's talk, Fight the Right Fight. And um, it's interesting, I feel like it's already been summarized this morning through some of the words and the, and the songs, but we're, we're continuing in James, James chapter 4. And we're going to read uh, the first 12 verses of that chapter. It should come up on the screen. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Yeah, Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that, Lord, it is a mirror to our souls, that it teaches us how to live our lives in accordance with your will. We thank you that your word is powerful. We pray that you speak to us through your word this morning. Amen. So as I said, we're going to talk about fighting the right fight. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk about fighting the wrong fight. Because the first part of this passage paints a bit of a picture of a person. A person driven to gain things like control, power, material stuff, recognition. This person is argumentative, controlling in their language, behavior, willing to hurt, to take away from others, to step on others to get what they want. A person who might even pray and ask God for stuff, but only so that they might live a life of comfort and pleasure. It's a description of an aggressive person fighting to get their way. And whilst we might want to dismiss that as some person out there, the reality is that we are all at some points like this. This He's talking here to Christians, isn't he? Um, We get into arguments We get frustrated about the things we don't have. We find ourselves grasping and hoping, maybe even praying for stuff that the world offers. And all these things are a sign that we are fighting the wrong fight. Our motives are wrong. We're putting our energy into winning the wrong prize. And what's crazy about this, this kind of approach to life is that James puts it in, these, in this passage that we're actually fighting against God. That when we kind of become people that are pursuing the ways of the world, pursuing um, getting our own way, trying to be masters of our own destiny, it's not just a neutral thing. We actually become enemies of God. God becomes, in, we come in direct opposition to the ways of God and to what God is standing for. And so he becomes our enemy. And that's quite a scary thought. Romans 8, verse 7 puts it this way. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And this is our state before we come to Christ, isn't it? We are hostile to God. We're completely opposed to his way, to his heart, to the things that he longs for. And if there's ever a fight we don't want to be in, it's that fight, isn't it? With God as our enemy. Um, 
And this passage is encouraging us to recognize that even though we have been saved and we are children of God, that sometimes we get in the wrong fight. We get in the wrong way of thinking. We start pursuing the wrong things. And we need to recognize that this originates from our hearts. It's quite a bleak picture. But in verse 5 and 6, James gives us a bit of hope. And he reminds us that God is a God of grace, that he shows favor to the humble. And even more than that, that he jealously longs for us to come to him. Um, Another translation puts that he's a fiercely jealous lover. That's why he pursued us in the first place. Because before we knew Christ, we were enemies of God, right? Tells us in Romans 5, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so we, when we first came to Christ, we were completely opposed to him. We were going our own way, and he stepped in with that fierce, jealous love. And he continues to do that even when we kind of shift and we get ourselves into the wrong way of thinking, the wrong way of living. And so James is encouraging us here, refocus. It's time to get back in the right fight. It's time to get serious again. And the right fight is simply this, submit to God. So fighting the right fight, submit to God. Three, three simple words, but they're quite powerful words. Submit to God. And... We're going to kind of um, look through some of the statements that James makes in this passage where I think he's trying to explain to us what it means to submit to God and where he's trying to encourage us to think about that. But before we do that, I just want to remind us that submission to God is something that we shouldn't be running from, but something that we should be desiring. Um, I think the word submission to God can conjure up pictures in our minds. It can conjure up a picture of an ogre with a big stick. Um, You know, someone who wants to restrict our lives, someone wants to control us, someone wants to uh, beat us into this place of submission and obedience. And maybe that's a bit of an extreme (laughs) image. Maybe it's not quite that like that in your head, but you get the picture. We, We think of it as a negative thing, this submission. But we're actually, I feel like it should be more of a picture like the hands of Jesus inviting us and welcoming us, saying, come, live your best life. I have everything that you could want and possibly desire. Submission to God is amazing. It's like releasing. It's freeing. It's life. So, yeah, just as, we, as we're thinking about submission to God, just wanted to kind of have a, that picture in your head. So how do we submit to God? I'm going to just kind of go through five statements that are in a few of the verses in this passage, and hopefully they will kind of help us just to unpack this a bit. So the first one says, resist the devil. Verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, and this, this is linked, I think, to submission to God, because we have an enemy who's trying to basically stop us from submitting to God. And I think it's important for us to recognize that, that actually sometimes when we get into a place where we're not following God and we're not 
giving our hearts completely to God, that actually the enemy is also involved. We see it, don't we, at the very first time that he comes on the scene in Genesis 3. Let's just read a few verses there. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we have Adam and Eve in the garden, living under submission to God, but living a life of paradise, living in full freedom, free to eat of any tree in the garden. And the devil comes along and says, and challenges that, doesn't he? He's like, do you really want to stay in this place where you're submitted to God? What about this tree over here? Look at it. It's amazing. It looks awesome. Taste it. Not only is he selling the lie that, ah, there's something you're missing out of here. There's something you could be enjoying that God's trying to stop you from enjoying. Not only is he selling that lie, but he's also giving them the idea that you can be God. You can be like God. In other words, you can be on a level with God where you no longer have to be under him, but you can be your own God. You can be the master of yourself. And this is how he operates. He sells us this lie continuously. You can be in control of your own life, and it's a much better place to be. He even tempted Jesus, didn't he, this way? Matthew 4, 8 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So a simple encouragement here that we have to actually resist the devil if we're going to be able to submit to God. We have to recognize that we have an enemy and that his one agenda is to stop us from living a free life in submission to God. And when those things come along that want to take us in that way, we have to resist the devil. The second part says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And here's an invitation, isn't it? Come near to God. The fact that we can actually come near to God is mind-blowing when you think about it. The fact that the God who created the whole universe, and it says we can come near to him, and he will come near to us. I was thinking a little bit about our Milky Way and all the stars. And uh, anyone know how many stars we think there are in our Milky Way? So astronomers estimate, because we don't know, but they reckon there's about 100 billion stars in our Milky Way. 100 billion, that's one with 11 zeros. It's <laughs> a lot of stars. And they estimate also that there are about 100 billion galaxies in our universe. So the Milky Way is just one galaxy 
They reckon there's 100 billion galaxies. They reckon once our telescopes get more powerful, they will be able to discover more. So 100 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars in each equals a big number. <laughs> and do you know what the Bible says? Psalm 147, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. I mean, just to try and get our heads around that is just a bit crazy, isn't it? Like, I have two kids and I forget their names. <laughs> and it says he knows them all by name. And we're invited to come near to this God, to actually come near to him. Not just to kind of know that he's there, but to actually be near to him, to be close to him, to live our lives in like a close walk with this God. And that's, that's mind-blowing. And it's the invitation. And we have to fight because coming near to God doesn't always come naturally to us. It's a fight. We have to be in that fight to say, you know what, I realize that this is the, this is the life I need to live in submission to God. And I'm going to have to fight to make sure that I get near to God. And, we, and the promise is that every time we take that step to God, he will come near. And what an amazing promise that we can take a hold of that. It reminded me of the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was this tax collector, um, not a liked person, and he heard that Jesus was coming near to where he was, and he was like, I want to see this person. I want to get close to this person. But he had an issue. He was short. He knew he wasn't going to get through all the crowds. He wasn't going to get close enough to see him. So he used his brain. He thought, I'm going to get up ahead where I know Jesus is going to walk. I'm going to get up in a tree. And at least then I'll be able to look down and see this Jesus for myself. I want to see him. I want to see what he's like. I want to see what he's doing, what he's saying. And so Zacchaeus had this obstacle, didn't he? But he fought. He was intentional and he fought and he found a way to get close to Jesus. And I just think we have to be like that. We have to be people that are like, you know what, I'm going to get near to Jesus. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to fight, whatever I have to fight off, whether it's work, whether it's people, whether it's time, whether it's just life, whatever it looks like for me, I'm going to fight to come near because I know that this is the only way I'm going to live my life to the full. So submission to God, resist the devil, come near to God, and then thirdly, purify our hearts. It says, be cleansed from sin. Sorry, it says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 8. I like the fact that, I don't think this is necessarily written in a particular order, but I like the fact that this comes after come near to God. It doesn't say purify your hearts, clean your hands, and then come near to God. No, it says come near to God. First, we don't have to do stuff to come near to God. We don't have to feel like we're in the right place before we make that decision to come and pray or to come and worship him. Uh, we just need to come. And that's the gospel, isn't it? Just come as you are because actually we can't fix ourselves. It's only Jesus that can. But when we come, often he will show us some stuff. He will highlight some stuff in our lives that he wants us to deal with. And this is part of our submission to God, isn't it? That when he points out stuff in our lives that we say, okay, God, I, I'm going to surrender that and I'm going to 
ask for your cleansing and your forgiveness. And he uses this, um, this term double-mindedness. He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's actually the second time in this book that he's used that word. In the, in the first chapter, he talked about a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. And I think that, um, you know, we try and do this submission thing, don't we? We try, but we tend to do it in bits and pieces. And we try and stay on the face. We want a fence. We want to keep our options open. And that's often driven by the fear that we might lose out. He might ask me to give all my money to others. Will that mean I can't have some of the things that I want? He might ask me to give up my dreams, the things I've worked so hard for. He might ask me to give up all my time to something. And how will I be able to enjoy all the pleasures of life? How will I be able to watch that drama series or travel the world or build my business, etc.? My life might become boring. Might be always doing church stuff. But I do want a bit of God because I know eventually those things get a bit dry and I need him when I get ill and when I'm in a bit of trouble or a bit lost. And this is what James describes as a double-minded person. And he says they're unstable in all their ways. And you know, as, as we've kind of gone through this book of James, I feel like He's more or less asking the same question all the way through. He's asking us, are we for him or are we not? Are we in or are we out? We need to quit this foolish venture of trying to walk on the fence because it does not work. It makes us unstable. It makes us abrasive. It makes us fight the wrong fight. You know, he talked about in, in other verses about um, salt water and fresh water, and Owen brought this up last week, you know that sometimes with our mouth we will praise God and then with the same mouth we're going to curse a person or, or gossip about someone or whatever. And it's this kind of unstable um, place that we exist in. And, and in this passage he uses even stronger language where he, <laughs> he's talking to these Christians and he says, you're, you're adulterous people. Strong language. You're saying you're unfaithful. You're, you're kind of you're saying you're committed here, but then you're also going over here. It says that's enmity against God. If you choose the world over God, you're becoming an enemy. These divided loyalties. And we try to keep having this and having that and have our feet in two camps, and we become these unstable people tossed by this and that. And Jesus is saying to us, hey. I am come that you may have life, have it in all its fullness. I'm inviting you, come join the great adventure. Drink the water that actually quenches. You think you're going to lose your dreams when you submit to me? No. I'm going to give you dreams that you couldn't imagine. The kind of dreams I prepared for you, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, minds haven't conceived them. So I do think God has challenged us here about that double-mindedness. And, you know, I'm preaching to myself here because we do get split, don't we? We're kind of like, I want God, but I want this. And God is saying, you need to give me it all. You need to put it all in. 
the fourth one is grieve. It says in verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I bet none of you got that verse on your wall in your house. <laughs> these, are, these are kind of emotions that are associated with loss, aren't they? Grief, mourning, and wailing. And this isn't about our mourning the loss of the life I could have had or the things I could have enjoyed, but this is about a sorrow that leads us to a good place. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So there's, there's this sense that when we've kind of done this journey of coming near to God and purifying our hearts, and then there's this place where actually we actually need to lament a little bit and, and mourn and grieve our sinful nature and our heart that can be wayward. And, you know, in the Old Testament, they used to do this thing where they would put on sackcloth, and then they would put ashes on their head and on their face. And so sackcloth, you know, you know what sacks, they're made of this rough material. Can you imagine wearing that? <laughs> they used to put it on as clothes, and then they would get ash and just put it all over their face and over their heads. And it was symbolic. It was them symbolizing that they were recognizing that they had um, offended God, that they had done wrong, and that they wanted to come back to God. And they were kind of bringing themselves to this place of sorrow and of, of downness of heart and of contriteness of heart. And I think the Spirit will bring conviction of sin, but there's this place where our heart needs to be broken. It needs to be contrite where there's a sorrow that will, will lead us to a good place. Um, and even Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. I think that's quite challenging, because we don't want to be in that kind of place, do we? We don't want to be people that are sad and miserable, but I think understanding that there's something really, really good and healthy about this, where we lament the fact that we, we haven't followed God, that we haven't done what's right, that we haven't lived in submission to him. And we stay in that place to allow God to bring it to a place of goodness. See, our hearts can be quite hard, can't they? They can get hard. And there's something that needs to happen to break our hearts, to bring us to a place of humility and contriteness before God. And that leads us to the final statement, which is, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So we've got all the way down to this place where we're humbling ourselves before God. We're bowing down. And it's awesome, isn't it, that it says, then he will lift us up. There's a laying down of stuff. There's a letting go of stuff. And there's a saying a yes to God that's in this place of humility where we're no longer trying to achieve our goals, trying to live our lives our way with our crowns on our heads. We're the boss. We've let it all go. And, you know, we've all 
if we're Christians here this morning, we've all done this. We've all come to that place where we're saying, God, you have it. You, can, you have control. But even in our Christian lives, we, we fall back into the wrong place where we're trying that crown that we smashed up. We try and stick it back together with glue and put it back on our head and try and take control again. And we're being challenged here. What is it that we need to lay down? These things represent a fight. A fight in our inner being. A fight not to win, but a fight to lose. The human fight is all about fighting to win, to get our own way. Submission to God is about fighting to lose. Jesus said it in Mark 8, 35, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We're fighting, we're fighting against the culture, against the, the run to lay down our lives, to lay down our dreams, to lay down all the things that we try and control in our lives. Well, yeah, I'm going to just bring a one more kind of... Uh, picture of this from another passage but maybe if Phil and Ben could come up we're going to sing it in a bit but in Romans 6 Paul uses another kind of way of trying to explain this whole idea of submission to God in verses 19 to 23 he says I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations in other words he's saying Here's an example you can relate to. You you will understand this. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. In other words, you guys know what it means to submit because when you were living a life of sin, you gave it all fully. You gave yourself to it. It controlled you. You gave up the right to be able to to choose. So you know what it means to submit, to be powerless, to be under the control of something. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefits did you reap at that time from from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's using this picture here, isn't he? You know what it's like to be under the control of something, to be submitted to something. Take that image and apply it to your submission to God. Be fully in to the point where you've lost the power to choose, where he's kind of got full control over you. Because the benefit of that is that it leads to life. It leads to holiness. It leads to all the things that you would want. There's a benefit package that comes with this wholehearted, all-in heart approach to God. All that shame, all that depression, feeling low, emptiness, confusion, lostness, fear, insecurity, anxiety, it's all gone. And what does he give us? He gives us a story. Not an Instagram story. 
you know the one. Look at my best life. Look at all the places I've been. Look at my shiny, pretty life. Not that kind of story, but a story that is the greatest, a piece in the greatest story of all time, God's story. With that story comes adventure, comes freedom, comes fulfillment, comes joy, comes victory, comes peace. So just remind you of those images that we had up. God is not an ogre with a stick, trying to compress our lives, trying to restrict us from enjoying our lives. He is inviting us. He's saying, come lay some stuff down. Let some things go. Say yes to some things that I'm asking of you. Let's direct our energies into the right fight. Maybe if you could just play for a bit. We're going to just take a moment and I'm just going to give you a bit of space and time just to process this passage and to think about how this may relate into your life. Perhaps there is some stuff that you know God is saying that you need to let go of this morning. Perhaps there's some fight that you've been in that you was the wrong fight and actually we just have to lay that down this morning perhaps there's something that God has been challenging you about that you know you should have said yes to already and you haven't and God is asking you this morning again will you say yes going to give you a couple minutes to just to listen as we've been encouraged this morning to what God is saying to you.
So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Father, we do want to say yes to you this morning. We thank you that whenever we say yes to you, it's a, it's a thing that frees us. It's a thing that brings like fulfillment and life to us. And God, we confess that often we do we do not submit to you. That often, Lord, we try to be our own masters. We confess that often we do try and pursue the wrong things. But this morning, we just want to say again, Lord, that we come on our knees before you just to submit before your throne recognize that you are our father and that you love us with a fiercely jealous love and that God we want to put it all in we want to follow you wholeheartedly pray that you will help us to do that God and by your spirit you will break our hearts again and you will take us deeper into that place of intimate walking